Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. Tuesday morning, the sports world is talking about it. The world at large was reacting to it. And so there's only one appropriate place to start with you this morning on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin with the front office insider, Mike Tannenbaum in for Jay Williams this morning. Jay will be back next week when draft week officially commences. Of course, that is Mike's expertise, all things NFL, and we'll get to that throughout the morning and throughout the first hour. But first, we have to start at the very top. Yesterday, I'll just take you quickly behind the curtain. We talk about 415, 445 every afternoon to see what's on the docket to get ready for the show in the morning. And when we got together about 4.45, we talked for a few minutes, exchanged some pleasantries, went through the usual motions that we do. And uh, Key just said, guys, I got to go. The verdict's about to come on. I got to go. Somewhere between about 4.30 and 5, closer to 4.45 to 5 o'clock. I'll see you in just a bit. And then everybody took part in the way that you normally do, whether it was in front of the television. I think I could tell Key was watching television. Many people, I was out and about strolling around. People were just glued to their phones. And then you saw the reaction. You saw the verdict. Derek Chauvin, guilty, second-degree murder, third-degree murder, second-degree manslaughter. Key, let's just start with your opinion on the reaction, what you saw, how you feel. I mean, you know, there's really no real feeling, um, Zubin, other than they got it right, um, the accountability part of it, so that the message is sent to individuals that's out there that think that they could use their badge and power themselves and do whatever. Now you have something there that hopefully will make those individuals think twice, three times before they pursue doing the sort of things that he did. Um, you know, you it, it still doesn't bring George Floyd back to his family back to this earth, his friends, his loved ones. But at the same time, you could sit back and you could hope that the message was sent loud and clear, not only for Minnesota, but the rest of the world, that these sort of actions uh, are not, will not be tolerated moving forward. Uh, you know, because you're, you're on the edge of your seat when the verdict was read. You just didn't know. It's like you're sitting there and you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. And then finally, we get the, you know, the guilty, the guilty, the guilty. Now, the sentencing part of it has to come about eight weeks from now. So we're still going to be a little skeptical about what actually is going to happen. Uh, The maximum, I believe, is about 40 years. But is it going to be the maximum, the minimum? What is it going to be? But I think what took place yesterday was the accountability part. And and each one of those jurors got it right. It was a verdict without modern precedent when it came to charging a police officer with what Chauvin was convicted of. There's many other issues. You mentioned the Dante Wright trial that is still going to be taking place. The three other officers that were around Chauvin, that's still going to take place. The Minneapolis mayor, Jacob Frey, who is in the middle of all of this, is up for re-election. The police department in Minneapolis is still down 200 officers. People simply don't want to apply. Less qualified people are applying, and people of color are not applying because of obviously everything that's going on and how it affects Minneapolis, specifically the 3rd Precinct, and where this all happened. So 
obviously that's the big story, but those are just some side stories that are going to become very tangible and very important as the months go on. You got to think about how far we've come. The incident happened with George Floyd on Memorial Day, so we're nearing the one-year mark since all of this happened and how much has changed in the world of sports. I should mention there's probably been no league in the world that has been more... I would say, aligned with social justice than the NBA. Their players have been as vocal as anyone. There were five games in the association last night, including the Nets and the Pelicans. And uh, the Pelicans lost to the Nets last night. I don't really think that's much concern to head coach Stan Van Gundy of the Pelicans. What was interesting is he broached something that a lot of people were thinking but not saying because it was a day for, in some cases, celebration. There was people bracing for protest, but that obviously was able to die down a little bit with regards to the verdict. A lot of people said, is this one case? Is this just George Floyd, Derek Chauvin, or is this going to be the first step leading to systemic change, right? Is this going to be the first step in a very long journey that probably should have been putting one foot in front of each other long ago? The optimistic view is indeed, this is the first step to systemic change. But Stan Van Gundy, as always is the case, gave us a dose of his visceral, honest, emotional opinion. And it's not as bullish as you may think. Is it going to change anything? It was a just verdict, but will it have larger implications will it force us or you know at least motivate us to explore um better policing and solving the immense problem of of racial justice is it gonna is it gonna do any of that is it gonna move us forward on any of that or is just this just an isolated verdict on one where we had clear video evidence so I applaud the just verdict, but it's hard for me to to celebrate based on where the whole thing started. George Floyd still being dead, people since then being dead, and not having overwhelming confidence that that this is going to be a step in the right direction and not an isolated incident. Only time will tell on that. I'm going to have a quick thought on the media perspective and why this trial combined with the times in which we're living, led to an unprecedented verdict and reaction around the world. Just my two cents here in a minute. But, Mike, I just want to get your thoughts on what you heard, because I think this is just one of those stories that we're going to be talking about 50 years from now, 100 years from now. Those two words, George Floyd, will continue to resonate long after we're all gone. A, As I mentioned, verdict without precedent. Yeah, I agree. First of all, it's it's still an unspeakable tragedy. I think the jurors got it right, and that is signs of progress. But two things really stood out to me yesterday, guys. First of all, I went back and I read the initial press release from May 25th, 2020, and the headline was, Man Dies After Medical Incident During Police Interaction, which is shocking. That's what the initial report was after George Floyd passed away. And I think the other interesting part to me was that hopefully will be a meaningful part of history moving forward, is the 17-year-old Darnella Frazier. She was the one that actually videotaped the incident. And for all the tragedies that have come recently and all the uh, social injustices that have occurred, someone like her, hopefully in a meaningful way, will change history because capturing what happened on video obviously changed the outcome you know, in the George Floyd case. But I just, when I went back and I read that initial press release, it was shocking to me, the initial characterization of of what happened. 
And that's where I wanted to go, Mike. You kind of hit the nail on the head on where I wanted to go with the media aspect of this and the racial composition of the jury. A quick couple of points, and we'll continue to talk about this throughout the four hours because obviously this is a story that transcends sports and sort of makes us realize we're just here to talk about ball games, scores, highlights, analysis, and how trivial that is in the grand scheme of things. But you're right. On the day that George Floyd woke up on Memorial Day 2020, I don't think George Floyd thought he was going to be taking his last breath that day. And when 17-year-old Darnella Frazier woke up that day, I don't think she woke up thinking to herself, I'm going to change the world today, but she did. She was 17, is 17. She was walking with a young member of her family to get a snack at a convenience store when she saw it. And presence of mind, even as a youngster, to take the younger person she was with, put that person on the doorstep of the convenience store, walk over, take out her phone, 2021, and with a thumb, pressed one button on her phone, and with that one button, changed the course of history. So George Floyd, when he woke up that day, had no idea it would be his last, and Darnella Frazier had no idea the impact she would have using modern technology. We're going to dig into this next hour, but I just want to mention one thing as we continue to cut across racial lines. The jury was consisted of one black woman, two multiracial women, two white men, three black men, four white women, two-thirds of the jury were in their 40s, or younger. And oftentimes, as is the case, and I think this is a sad commentary on where we are, that needs to be mentioned because many people believe the composition of the jury ends up deciding what the verdict will be. But I think in this case, whether you had 12 white men, 12 white women, 12 black women, 12 black men, anybody, age, race, sexual orientation, older, younger, urban, suburban, rural, rich, poor, Democrat, Republican, I don't think you need to break down, even though in 2021 this is what we do, I don't think you need to get down to the granular level of who is on the jury deciding the fate of Derek Chauvin. Anybody with a pair of eyes, as Keith Ellison, the Minnesota Attorney General, said, believe your eyes, first day of the trial, believe your eyes, believe what you're seeing. And so that's one thing I just wanted to mention. Oftentimes people look at the composition and say that's why a certain verdict was rendered. In this particular case, I think if you took 12 clear-eyed people of any background, I think it's obvious what the case would be. On the way, much more on this throughout the course of the morning. The NFL draft is eight days away. Our GM, Mike Tannenbaum, is here. Jets, Dolphins. So we're asking who the big surprise teams would be. And if Mac Jones tumbles, how far will he go? Mike says, not nearly as far as you might think. We're underway this morning. Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin, ESPN Radio and ESPN2. Coming up this morning on KJZ, Clemson head football coach Dabo Sweeney as our coverage of the NFL draft continues. Dabo Sweeney with Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin this morning at 830 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN News. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit... Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. certainly doesn't mean that Sam Darnold won't be facing any level of competition for that starting job in Charlotte. Mike Tannenbaum, the front office insider here with us. We'll break that down in about 15 minutes. But key right off the top, the Panthers are top of mind. They pick in the top 10. It's a fascinating team, seemingly on the cusp. Lost a ton of games last year in one possession fashion. A lot of people believe they are close. Welcome to Straight Talk. It's Straight Talk Wireless. And it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Okay, so we have to get into this. We're asking this morning the biggest surprise teams in both conferences. We're going to get your thoughts and Mike's thoughts. Let's start in the NFC, and I'll let the cat out of the bag. We kind of just heard Christine Lisi talk about the big trade for Sam Darnold. You really believe that Carolina is the team that's on the cusp, your biggest surprise team in the NFC? Yeah, when you look at the NFC, though, as a whole, you can go, you can start out west. There's no surprise team in the West. They're all good, right? I mean, Arizona is trending upward, so it's, that's not a surprise. And then you, you, you look at where the South is. I mean, Atlanta's Atlanta. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with Jameis in New Orleans. We already saw Tampa Bay win the Super Bowl. Uh, and, and so when you look at what happened in the East, it's like, okay, what's the, what's the surprise over there? All of a sudden, Washington emerges and goes to the Super Bowl. That's not a surprise. They were a playoff-type team, even though they, you know, they backdoored into it. Division champions. Division champions, but it was like a fake division at that time. So when you look at Carolina and the moves that they made with bringing over Sam Darnold and giving up the capital in the draft to get a guy that they felt could get them over the the top with a healthy Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson. They draft someone at eight that helps them on the offensive side of the ball. They still got a guy like Shaq Thompson leading the defense. So – when you start to look at what Joe Brady can do from an offensive standpoint and you look at that division, you say to yourself, okay, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl, but they everything fell right for them. They called a New Orleans team that was banged up. They went in and Green Bay was Green Bay. They didn't finish the deal. They hit when they were supposed to hit, although they struggled along the way. There's no Drew Brees. We don't know what Jameis Winston, if it's Jameis Winston. What if it? he starts off and he struggles and then all of a sudden Sean Payton is forced to go to Taysom Hill? And that starts to, you know, and then now i got this quarterback back and forth, what I do week to week. Then you look at the Atlanta Falcons and you go, well, I mean, they got a new head coach. They don't know what they're going to do at four. What other playmakers do they have? Do Julio Jones stay healthy? Is Calvin Ridley going to continue to play well? What does the running back look like? I mean, it's all those things. So you look at Carolina, you go, okay. I think this is the surprise team. So Because yeah. when you think about it, 
Chicago's not a surprise team. Minnesota wouldn't be a surprise team. It would be the Carolina Panthers. Indeed. So who's your surprise team? 888-ESPN, 888-729-3776. You can give it via each conference. Key's obviously choosing the Panthers here in the NFC. Key's choice on the AFC here in a second. We'll get to Mike's picks too. But again, 888-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Your choice for surprise team in both conferences this year. If it's the Panthers in the NFC, who is it for you in the AFC? Well, as I look at the AFC, it's the Kansas City Chiefs, right? They're, they're, you put them over there separate, and now you start to break down that conference. And, and based on the moves that's being made, it could be the New England Patriots, but I've always felt like New England just needed to retool, take a breath, get some players back. So they're not going to be a surprise to me. A surprise team, the Indianapolis Colts. They went out and they acquired Carson Wentz because Carson Wentz had success under Frank Wright. I don't give a damn what nobody say. The man has success with Frank Reich. Frank Reich obviously knows his strengths and his weaknesses. He now takes over a team that was, you know, a few plays of, uh, I would call it, upsetting Buffalo in Buffalo. If Had they just hit a few throws here and there, it would have been a different ball game. And so when you look at it, they bring a guy in that now has a different confidence level. Jonathan Taylor's the running back. They re-signed T.Y. Hilton. Michael Pittman Jr. is over there. The defense is what it is. It's solid and sound. The offensive line is great. So you're like, okay, everything is aligned perfect for him. It shouldn't be any turbulence at all. This isn't Philadelphia where he was walking on eggshells. Well, if I do this wrong, I'm going to get pulled. If I do that wrong, I'm going to get pulled. They gave me a bunch of money. The expectations is big. Oh, well, my receiver's not playing this week. Oh, well, my other receiver's not playing this week. So he went through a lot. I think Indy, in the, within that division, because we don't know what Houston, that, that Houston thing's a mess. Right. Right? I'm not bullish on Tennessee. Uh, Tannehill is okay, serviceable. They got a nice running game. Their defense is atrocious from front to back. They're, they're not very good. And so when you start to look at it, and Jack, I don't even need to mention Jacksonville. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a basic new team with a new head coach and a new quarterback. So this is the team that comes out of that division, and they would be the surprise team for me. Okay, Mike, so we got Carolina in the NFC for key, Indianapolis in the AFC. You're going to go mega star wattage power with your two franchises. Go ahead. In the AFC, NFC, your surprise teams. Well, if I could count New England as a surprise team, I kind of agree with key, which is it's hard to say that they're a surprise team, but – Obviously, they fell short last year. I think Cam Newton's going to play a lot better, and I think Dante Hightower coming back is going to be a big, big difference for them. So in addition to everything else they did in the offseason for Matt Judon, the receivers, the tight ends, I think New England has a real chance to win the division, in my opinion. As Key mentioned, that they were closer last year than people thought. In that Buffalo game, if they didn't fumble, they probably would have beat Buffalo in Buffalo. So I love New England on that side. Um, And then on the NFC, Zubin, Maybe this is a surprise, maybe it's not, but one of my favorite players in in all of the NFL is Dak Prescott. And I think Dallas next year, getting Dak back, people are going to have trouble keeping up with them. You know, Kansas City, as Key mentioned, you could put them on one level, but you talk about Green Bay, Tampa Bay. I think Dallas, to me, they could score as many points as, as those other teams. I think it's critical that they address defense in the draft, specifically either a pass rusher or a corner 
I think the draft sets up perfectly. Someone like Patrick Sertan from the University of Alabama, they drafted Trevon Diggs a year ago. He's a good outside corner. But if they can at least get the defense to average, I think Dallas is a team that's going to score a ton of points next year if Dak can stay healthy. And I think they're going to surprise a ton of teams. They both have the power to fortify pretty quickly. Dallas will pick in the top 10, New England in the top 15. Cowboys haven't been to the Super Bowl in more than a quarter century. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. Speaking of the draft, the KJZ mock draft rolls on. Picks five through eight on the way. Almost everybody in the world has the Bengals taken one guy at five, except for the KJZ mock draft, where we're going off the board. And how far will Mac Jones slide off the board if he doesn't go three to San Francisco? The answer from our experts, our mock draft continues on the way after he has this from Hulu. Still pounding on that remote control night after night? Hulu has all the shows and movies you love. And before you ask... Do they have The Handmaid's Tale or Grey's Anatomy or even Sports Center? The answer is simply yes. Whether you're into live sports news or award-winning originals and premium channels, it's time to have Hulu. Hulu plans start at $5.99 for thousands of shows, movies, and Hulu originals. And you can add another premium channels and live TV. And it's all on the same app. So you're not having to download millions of things, keep the drama on your TV, and keep streaming simple. It's time to have Hulu. Restrictions do apply. Think about Kyle Pitts and that unique talent. Kyle Pitts is not just a tight end. This is 6'6", 240, 245 pounds. You take a player like Kyle Pitts, you just make him a mismatch problem. More from Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin next. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric E-Bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus! Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
We'll see what happens. A variance of opinions there. By the way, uh, Johnny Manziel is now playing in a football league where the fans call the plays. So, okay, I don't know if we want to compare Johnny to these guys. These guys are certainly hoping for a better outcome. Draft April 29th, ESPN Television here on ESPN Radio. The front office insider Mike Tannenbaum is here, and he will be a part of ESPN Radio's draft coverage along with Kevin Nagandi, L. Duncan, Bart Scott. Looking forward to that on the radio here in just over a week. Okay, so if you're newly initiated, it's time for the continuation of the KJZ mock draft. Pretty simple, right? We're going to run through all 32 teams. We're going to try to knock off four a day. Yesterday, we went all four. It was all four quarterbacks. If that were to happen in reality, it'd be the first time ever. Today, we're going to do picks five through eight as they stand currently in the draft order. If there's some trades that are made between now and next Thursday, we'll account for that when we break down every team in the first round. So that's the deal. We'll have our experts from each team, somebody in the market that follows the team every day, make a well-informed pick. Key will give his analysis, and then that analyst will break down why he or she made the selection they did. So we are ready to go with the best. There it is. <laughs> Key's perked up at 6.35 a.m. Eastern. That's one way to get Key. Some people need coffee. Key needs the draft chime. The Cincinnati Bengals <laughs> are on the clock, aren't they always? Mo Egger, ESPN 15.30 with the selection. With the fifth pick in the 2021 KJZ mock draft, the Cincinnati Bengals select Jamar Chase, wide receiver from LSU. Yeah, I, I don't think that this is the right pick for Cincinnati. I understand what they want to do. They want to surround Joe Burrow with weapons. But if he's on his back like he was a lot last year prior to the injury, then Jamar Chase is not going to get the football going to get the football at all, let alone they have a guy in T. Higgins they drafted out of Clemson last year in the second round, Tyler Board several years before that out of Pittsburgh, Joe Mixon in the backfield. You need an offense alignment. Penny Sewell out of Oregon should have been a pick here. But if they want to throw the ball, on his back, have him throw the ball on his back, go right ahead. Joe Burrow reuniting with Jamar Chase from Baton Rouge to Cincinnati. Everyone's got Sewell, so Mo, explain the Chase selection. This is a position in which the Bengals really can't get it wrong. Kyle Pitts is available. He's a physical freak. Panay Sewell's available. The best offensive line prospect in this draft, but... With the offensive line in which the Bengals need to get better, there are players the Bengals could get in rounds two and three. They can plug in and play a guard. And with Chase specifically, you cannot ignore the production he had in 2019 playing with Joe Burrow. Over 1,700 yards receiving, 20 touchdown receptions. You take Jamar Chase and you add him to Joe Mixon, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and Burrow, and suddenly you have an offense that has the capability of being one of the most explosive and that was the single best receiving season in LSU history. Jamar did opt out last year. So if you're wondering that name, you didn't see him last year. That's the reason. Here we go. The Miami Dolphins are on the clock with their rebuilding project. Certainly ahead of schedule, you would think. Amber Wilson, ESPN Radio and 790, the ticket with Selection 6. With the sixth pick in the 2021 KJZ mock draft, the Miami Dolphins select... Kyle Pitts, tight end, the University of Florida. I think this is a great pick for Miami. You think about it, he's from the area right there. Actually, he's from Philadelphia, but he played not far up the road at the University of Florida. But this allows Tua a big-time target in the red zone. You know, the interesting thing, they went out and got Will Fuller, who can lift the coverage with speed. You got Parker on the underneath stuff. But here's a mismatch that 
linebackers, safeties, they can't cover this guy. The only thing that I question is his speed playing-wise. He doesn't seem to play fast to me. It seems like his body is what gets him open, being tall and rangy, not necessarily violent and physical. When you look at guys like Travis Kelsey, for that size, Travis Kelsey plays fast. When you look at a young Gronkowski, he played fast. So, Hopefully Kyle Pitts makes the adjustment to the National Football League and turns up the speed level in games. Jimbo Fisher was on the show yesterday, effusive in his phrase of Pitts, unwarranted. Just asked him. He didn't even bring it up. Boom. He just said, watch out for that kid from Florida. Amber, on why this pick makes so much sense. Guys, the Dolphins found themselves in the unique position of sitting at the top of the draft in that third spot not needing to draft a quarterback because they had just drafted one. So they traded all the way back, but then they bothered to trade back up to get into that sixth spot. And that tells me that they're still interested in taking a skill position here at six. This is a quarterback heavy draft. This is also a pass catcher heavy draft. However, I think drafting Kyle Pitts is less about the position that he plays and more about just taking the next best guy off your draft board. In fact, the Dolphins don't actually need to draft a tight end. They have Mike Gesicki. But if you have the opportunity here to draft the best tight end prospect ever in NFL draft history, you do it, you pair him with Mike Gesicki, and you give to a Tungavaloa an arsenal of weapons at that tight end position, even if that's at the expense of passing on pairing Tua up with some of his former teammates who are still on the board in Waddle and Smith. Greeny is going to be hearing this in his ear over 200 times. That's a little bit too much. The Lions, right back in the top 10 where they belong. David Mad Dog DeMarco, 7.30 the game in Lansing, Michigan with the Lions' seventh selection. With the seventh pick in the 2021 KJZ mock draft, the Detroit Lions, with the seventh pick, take Micah Parsons out of Penn State. I agree with this pick. I think they need some edge rushing capabilities. If Michael Parsons had come back or not opted out, he certainly could have been in the top five type category had he continued the production at Penn State. He's a force to be reckoned with not only in the pass game, but also in the run game, a four, sub 4-3 four, defender. And when you have a guy like that that can chase down the running backs from the other side, get to the quarterback off the edge, you certainly can set the defense to another standard. I think when you look at it, where things are going for Detroit, they've got to start on the defensive side of the ball. Slowly building the defense, Okuda last year, this year, going at least in this particular draft here with Micah Parsons out of Penn State. Here's Mad Dog on the rationale. You know, a lot of people might think that they should take the three wide receivers, and even if Justin Fields is their quarterback out of Ohio State, the Ohio State, and maybe they will, I think defense needs to be addressed big time with the Detroit Lions. Matt Patricia was a defensive-minded guy from Bill Belichick's defense in New England, and their defense in Detroit has just smelled. It's been awful. It was, it's been terrible. And now they have a new regime of coaches. I think Parsons, 6'3", 244, junior out of Penn State, I think he's perfect right there. I've heard nobody say Micah Parsons at number 7. Maybe that's uplifting them a little bit, but Detroit needs defense. I know Goff needs receivers. They can get receivers. That's who I like, Micah Parsons, 6'3", 244, linebacker, Penn State. Okay, and let's round out today's portion of the KJZ Mock Draft. Here we go. 
The Carolina Panthers have the eighth overall selection. This is fascinating. Bobby Rosinski, 7.30 the game in Charlotte with the selection. With the eighth pick in the 2021 KJZ mock draft, the Carolina Panthers select offensive tackle Panay Sewell from Oregon. Well, Panay Sewell will be gone by the time they get to the Carolina Panthers. The Cincinnati Bengals will certainly be taking him. But they do need to address the offensive tackle spot. I think when you look at the kid out of Northwestern, there's an opportunity there. You know, and this is one of those picks where you're in the eighth spot. Maybe you trade back. Maybe you decide to pick up something because you continue to build your roster. You don't have to sit at eight. There will be teams, depending on where these quarterbacks fall, that will be looking to get up to the eighth spot, and it will give them some draft capital that they gave up to get Sam Darnold they can get back. Yep, the kid from Northwestern, Rashawn Slater. We'll wait to see where that name falls. Maybe it'll happen tomorrow. Bobby's back to explain why Sewell, who he doesn't think will be there and many others don't, would be the pick if somehow miraculously he is. The reason for this pick is easy. The Carolina Panthers have had 14 offensive tackles since Jordan Gross retired in 2013, and they need to protect their new investment in Sam Darnold. To do that, they get the best offensive tackle in the draft, and this is an easy pick for Matt Rule and Scott Fitterer. There you have it. So that's picks five, six, seven, eight. We'll roll tomorrow with another four, and we'll get all the way through 32. Just a quick disclaimer. Obviously, each of our guests can only pick who's left. So when Sewell is on the board, they're going to take him at eight. If he's not taken at five, Chase is taken somewhere else. So a lot of this is just based on we call these people and say, hey, here's who's been selected ahead of you. So it's not necessarily who they would take at that position. That person has to be available. So if you got a problem with him, you're tweeting him, you're upset at him, just remember they're just picking based upon who's available at that time. All right, the front office insider Mike Tannenbaum is back. By the way, if you have a question for Mike, it's time. It's like our version of an AMA Reddit. You can ask Mike anything within reason, within reason, right? 888-SAY-ESP and he'll answer everything <laughs> you got. So throw it out, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Eight days from the draft, he swung deals for two teams. What's it like? Your questions, get on the phone now. Mike, what did you think of selections five through eight and the choices made this morning? Yeah, the thing that was really disappointing was our, our friend Mo Eggers out of Cincinnati. You know, yesterday we saw the Super League just disband overnight. If the Cincinnati Bengals don't draft an offensive tackle, they should be disbanded and revoked from the NFL. <laughs> Keyshawn was 1,000% right. Last year, last year, this is remarkable, guys. Joe Burrow threw the ball 450 times in 10 games. Unacceptable. They cannot go out on the field this year unless they draft an offensive tackle, Panay Sewell, with the fifth pick. I don't care if it's the U.S. Olympic track team out there, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, if they trade for him, I don't care. they got to keep this guy upright and healthy. It was irresponsible what they did last year. They should have been in more two-back uh, offensive sets, two tight ends. They should have protected Joe Burrow. It was irresponsible, and it bothers me when people say, oh, just get him another weapon. Oh, how many games would he play this year? He played 10 last year. You want him playing six or four? So when Mo Egger said they can't make a mistake, yeah, Mo, you made a mistake because you picked the wrong guy. Mike, let me ask you this in terms of Kyle Pitts. Now, with my instant evaluator technology eyes that I all of a sudden have, I'm watching him, and I know he's great. He's great in college. He makes big plays. There's no question about it. But he's not twitchy, and it seems to me, watching film on him, he plays slower 
than his clock speed. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm seeing something. Maybe I need to get a new TV set. I don't know. But what are you seeing out of that? Yeah, Key, I think it's a really good point. And we've talked about this before, and I'm just being completely candid here. Like, for all our listeners and viewers, Keyshawn was an unbelievable blocker as a wide receiver. And with Dan Henning and Bill Parcells, one of the many great things about the way Key played was it was always a mismatch. And what I mean by that is if a team went small against us and played sub, we could run the ball because Keyshawn was such a great blocker. And if we put him in the slot, those undersized defensive backs, Key was a great blocker. If they played regular and tried to put a linebacker on Key, he was way too fast and athletic. And I think with Kyle Pitts, to your point, Key, my concern is when you talk to defensive coaches, like I've asked Wade Phillips, I've asked Eric Mangini, Rex Ryan, how would you defend Kyle Pitts? 100% of them, Key, are saying, hey, he's a wide receiver. He's going to have to prove to us that he can block. So I think you're making a really important nuanced point, which is this. As a tight end, of course he's a mismatch. There's no linebacker that could cover him. But I, I see a very similar uh, concern, which is if you're going to defend him as a receiver, he's a good player, but I don't see that elite skill set. Let's go to the phone lines. I mentioned it's time to ask the GM anything you want. Mike has just been in the hot seat with the draft eight days away. There's not many people out there in the media that can say, everybody can say, here's my mock draft. Everybody can say, here's who I would grab with no repercussions if you're wrong. (laughs) There aren't as many people who have done it and have had to live with the consequences the way Mike has. So let's get his insight. Tony in South Carolina, you're on ESPN Radio. Ask the GM anything. Hey, guys, I just want to know, I'm a, I'm a diehard Eagles fan, and, and two, definitely a big fan of you guys, watch you guys every morning. But I just want to know why the Eagles aren't focused on receivers. Last year, we were depleted. Our receiver core was absolutely horrible. This year, they trade back, and now they're looking at a defensive prospect. I just want to know what in the world is going on with my Philadelphia Eagles. Mike, you're the GM. Take it away. Yeah, Tony, it's a, it's a good question. You know, we could maybe talk about they did take a receiver last year, Jalen Rieger. They could have taken Justin Jefferson. So they did draft the, the, you would say, the right position. Maybe it was the wrong player. I think in fairness, though, let's just give that a grade of incomplete. You know, what's interesting is Justin Jefferson was the fifth receiver taken last year. Based on one year of production, you could say he was the best player of, of those five. So we'll see. Uh, but I think it's clear that what they're going to do this year is say, hey, Jalen Hurts, you're a quarterback, and hopefully they're going to get them some more weapons. They should be a really good player at 12, which is where they currently are. And one thing you have to give Philly a ton of credit of is if Carson Wentz plays 75% or more of the snaps, they're going to have three first-round picks next year. So if Jalen Hurts works out, you got three picks to really improve your roster. If Jalen Hurts doesn't work out, you should have more ammunition than anybody to go up and get a quarterback next year if you need to. And I think when you look at it, you, Jalen Rigger is an incomplete, like you said, Mike, based on injuries, quarterback problems, just everything that went on in Philadelphia a year ago. I wouldn't have taken him over Jefferson. There's no way I felt like Jefferson was probably the best receiver in the draft last year. When you look at it, though, there's plenty of receivers in this year's draft. It's pretty deep. You don't have to take a guy – in the first round to be successful. I point to my nephew of the New Orleans Saints and Michael Thomas. He's been one of the most productive receivers, the most productive receiver since coming into the league. So when you look at it, 
you know, guys in the second and the third round fill the roster up a little bit for you. You can make plays with those sort of guys. Get the posi- get a position that you certainly need to help out uh, Jalen Hurts, and it's not the receiver spot. Indeed. Dave's in Western New York. He's on ESPN Radio this morning. Ask the GM anything. Hey, good morning, guys. How's it going? Uh, big Tampa Bay Bucks fan here in Bill's country, and I uh, just want to know, everyone's talking about the top ten picks. What are the champs going to do with the last pick of the draft? Dave, that's a really interesting question. I think if you look at what Ozzie Newsom did in one of the last acts as the general manager of the Baltimore Ravens at 32 a couple years ago, he took Lamar Jackson, which was a great pick for a number of reasons. Lamar turned out to be the league MVP. In addition, they got five years because in the first round you have that fifth-year option. I think the Buccaneers should take a quarterback at 32, just like the Ravens did. So whoever that sixth quarterback is, maybe it's Davis Mills of Stanford, maybe it's Kyle Trask of Florida, Kellen Mann of Texas A&M. There's that next group after that top five. And if you think about from a Buccaneer standpoint, this gets set up perfectly, which is you have Tom Brady, presumably for this year, maybe one more, and now you have somebody behind him learning from the greatest of all time, and if you have them for five years. So if I'm Tampa Bay, as good as they did this offseason, let's think about the future and get your quarterback who's the heir apparent to Tom Brady. And I think you're, you're right, Mike. But what I would look at, too, if I was running the deal, who wants to get at 32? Let me trade back because as these quarterbacks start to slide down when you still have that second wave of guys there, I could probably pluck one of them in the second round and I could pick up some extra draft capital to continue to build the roster. Just a reminder, Russell Wilson, third round, Dak Prescott, fourth round. You may have heard Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round. Tibor in New Jersey, <laughs> ask the GM anything. Hey, good morning, Mike. Uh, big fan of yours, lifelong Jets fan. Big question. We all know that the um, Jets offensive line is awful, uh, except for Mekhi Becton. Um, they need guard. They need tackle on the right side. Who will be left in the draft? Uh, with their second and third pick, and will they fill those spots with uh, offensive linemen? Yeah, thanks, Tibor. I totally agree with you. You know, George Fant was a guy that really didn't work out for them last year. Becton, to me, looks like a great player. I think from a Jet perspective, it really sets up well from this standpoint. Obviously, they take the quarterback with the second pick. With their second first-round pick, there could be someone like Christian Darasoff of Virginia Tech, who I love. I think in other years we'd be talking about the top ten, but because of Panay Sewell, Rashawn Slater, some of these receivers going, I think there's going to be a really good tackle there. I like Sam Kazi from Texas, but to me, Christian Darasaw, I think, has a chance to be an elite player. If he's a bookend with Mike Mackay Becton with a young quarterback, at least now foundationally, you have a really good group of young players to build off of. The Jets need so much stuff, Mike. I, and when you get into certain parts of the draft for them, you know, outside of the second, maybe the, the, the outside of that second first round pick, they need to just address whatever's on the board as best available for them, way they have them ranked, because they need so many, they got so many holes, right? I mean, it's not specific uh, in terms of position. It's like they need a guard, they need a tackle, they need a this, they need another receiver, they need a defensive back, they need a linebacker. It's like so much when you're building a team from scratch, just select the best available. 
No doubt about it. We'll see what happens. Again, the draft eight days away. ESPN radio, full coverage. ESPN television in Cleveland in front of fans like it used to be, you know, way back in the old days, like two years ago. Keyshawn J. Will and Sue <laughs> presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests on the Goodyear Hotline coming up this morning at 9.30 a.m. Eastern. Dabo Sweeney will be here. We'll ask him about Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, Dabo. And, of course, we'll ask him about Deshaun Watson as well. Obviously, Oof. those are two huge stories circulating in and around guys that he knows as well as anyone. Dabo here, 9.30 a.m. Eastern. They also had their spring game the other day. We'll ask about DJU. On the way, 12 men and women in Minneapolis made a statement, and then so did the sports world. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric E-Bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about Electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus. Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S dot com.